From Fremont, California, this is the Smoky Podcast, a production of the Smoke Signal covering everything from student life to what's happening in the world, all in short 20-minute episodes. I'm Ahek Bora, web editor of the Smoke Signal, and I want to welcome you to our fourth episode of the second season, where four of our Smokies will be discussing multiculturalism and what this broad concept means to them as young, first-generation Asian Americans and people of color living in the Bay Area bubble and beyond. Please note that the experiences you will hear are unique to each individual and are not intended to represent the experiences of anyone but themselves. Hi everyone, my name is Sabrina and I'm the Senior Advertising Manager at The Smoke Signal. Hello, my name is Tavish and I'm a Senior Staff Writer. My name is Joanne and I'm a Sophomore Staff Writer. And my name is Tanisha and I'm a Junior Staff Writer. Today we'll be talking to you about multiculturalism what it is, what it manifests itself as, and how it impacts our lives as MSG students. We'll be conducting today's podcast episode through two segments split into three parts, a roundtable discussion and two one-on-one conversations. So without any further ado, let's get right into it. So I don't think we can have a discussion about multiculturalism without defining what it is in the context of the mission community. And I know the traditional definition is the presence of multiple different ethnic groups in a society, but I think it's a little bit different at mission because even though we're all considered ethnic groups or people of color, there's only very few numbers of those ethnic groups that exist in our community. So I think we get exposure to a lot of different kind of experiences that other people of color in our, com- like in our ethnic group wouldn't experience elsewhere. Yeah, and I think part of that is definitely due to the fact that most MSG students are immigrants or the children of immigrants. And I feel like there's a very unique experience that comes with um, interacting with not only your culture as a person of color and like the American experience. And I think that kind of shows itself at MSJ in terms of like celebrations like Multicultural Week or Homecoming Air Events where we have students being able to experience like the different cultures um, even within the Asian diaspora that's at mission. And I think that experience is definitely something that's very, very unique to our community that we don't see in other places. Yeah. Adding on, I definitely feel like as, you know, first or second generation Asian Americans, we definitely go through this experience of like, we're not completely connected to our native land in that we're not, you know, living in it, but we're also not completely American. So there's like that slight disconnect that makes, um, that we all share that makes this experience as someone who's living in the Bay Area such a unique experience that we share. Right, and I think we have this, living in the mission bubble, we have this proximity to our cultures that really allows us to stay connected with our heritage. Um, There's so many different um, multicultural clubs at Mission and so many different, you know, uh, like multicultural day where we get to really celebrate all of our um, unique identities. And I think the proximity to our cultures in a lot of ways is great, right? We build this confidence in our identities that um, if we were not inside the mission bubble, I think that would be more difficult to do. But at the same time, I think it also having this proximity to our culture, I think also breeds a lot of 
um, conservative and kind of outdated ideas about, you know, mental health and, um, and what uh, an idea of our success and what success means to us. So I think it, there's, there's really a give and take there with how close we are to our, um, to our, our identities. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Because I always hear about this like story that a lot of my other Asian friends tell me that aren't from here where like they bring food to school and people are confused on what that food is and like we've never had that because pretty much you will find one person that's recognizing what you're eating but at the same time there are stereotypes that are kind of amplified and superimposed on us in this area for example the Asian stem sort of stereotype that's like more amplified here because we're just all surrounded by people that think the same way that we do. Yeah, it's sort of similar to like creating an echo chamber around us because we have all these people that um, as immigrants have very similar perspectives when it comes to issues like what it means to be successful or what's accepted in society. And I think that mindset can be a little bit stifling when it comes to things like you know, choosing career pathways or being accepting of other people's identities. And I think the creation of an echo chamber where everyone believes in the same ideals and everyone has the same perspective can be a little bit of a hindrance when it comes to like progressivism and social growth. Um, so that's a little bit of a downside to this community. And I also think that having this shared kind of mindset on, you know, what's a good career, what's you know, a good extracurricular, that kind of thing, kind of leads um, people, especially in the Bay Area, whenever students get into an extracurricular, such as, you know, personally for me, it's like debate or mock trial. Um, whenever we get into those kinds of communities, places where it's not predominantly Asian Americans like it is at Mission, I think there's a bit of a shock that comes into play because we're not used to this kind of exposure to other cultures that aren't, you know, the two or three ethnic groups that we're so used to. Yeah, and I think because we live in this, as Tanisha said, this echo chamber, I think when we step out of the mission bubble, it can often be very jarring with what we have to face. And I think, um, you know, and I, we're, we're probably going to go into more detail in this in our one-on-one um, -on -one conversations, but I think when, you know, if you go outside of the state or outside of, you know, the mission community to uh, a speech and debate tournament or, you know, a DECA tournament, you're going to meet a lot of people who um, did not grow up at you know, as we, we've said, it's very, very unique. So when we meet people who haven't grown up the same way we have, it's, um, you know, I, I think we often face a lot of microaggressions and a, a lot of things, that, a lot of ideas and beliefs that we are not used to. And so this kind of culture shock, I think it really, um, it's something that is unique to the mission community because we are so sheltered. Yeah, I think specifically, like when you think about the culture shock, I think it definitely escalates from microaggressions to things that are much more insidious. And I think one example of that would definitely be the recent attacks against Asian Americans. And that's definitely a more serious topic that we'll delve into deeper in the next segment of our podcast. But just going into the fact that these microaggressions can lead to something that is 100% racism and it is 100% horrible and it's this echo chamber that's been created by, you know, white individuals against Asian Americans or vice versa, that is the reason why our society is not as inclusive as it could be. So 
the lack of multiculturalism there is, is definitely harmful and creating you know, issues of interracial violence, which is um, definitely an issue that we're facing here today. So those were some of the pros and cons of our experience in the mission bubble and a predominantly Asian American area. Now we'll be moving on to the one-on-one conversation portion of this podcast episode, where we'll connect some of our personal experiences with multiculturalism to social justice issues and mental health. Yeah, so let's get into the one-on-one portion of our podcast. I'm Tanisha. And I'm Joanne. So despite living in a very liberal state, we do live in the Bay Area, a place that's densely populated with first and second generation immigrants who came, who mostly came from East and South Asian countries that might have more socially conservative ideals compared to the rest of California. And I've seen a fair number of parents and older adults who aren't as accepting of more progressive policies like police reform or government assistant programs or, um, you know, being accepting of the LGBTQ community or, you know, addressing the mental health stigma. Um, And that's because of the way that they were raised in their own country. Yeah, and I feel like um, especially as we discuss some of the more complex topics like with, you know, internalized prejudices and stuff, I just want to make the point that Obviously, this, this doesn't apply to, like, every single parent or every single older person living in the Bay Area. But I feel like in general, when we look at the countries that, you know, maybe we personally have came from, um, there is definitely, like, a more traditional um, ideas of, like, how acceptance works of different communities or how we perceive issues like racism and mental health and the LGBTQ plus community. And I think... Um, It's definitely like a culture shock thing. You know, I think in America, we tend to be a little bit more open about these things as compared to some Asian countries. And I don't think it's a bad thing um, to have either one. I just think that we need to be more open to having these discussions of like privilege and multiculturalism and being accepting of these these different communities. But I don't think it's like a reflection of, you know, old people being bad or parents being bad for not understanding these things because they didn't come from like a position where they knew a lot about this. Yeah, definitely. So I think that contributes a lot to this internal conflict that a lot of Asian Americans in the Bay Area experience um, because we have this dichotomy of these traditional ideals that we've been raised with compared to these more generally progressive um, views that, you know, Generation Z provides, you know, as a community. And um, I personally experienced this as, you know, a Korean American living in America, you know, raised by parents who are immigrants. And I think like you said, there it, there is a bit of like a culture shock, I guess. You know, there's this difference in ideals that I've personally experienced um, versus the ones that I've been so surrounded with at, you know, in my youth. Um, but at the same time, you know, growing up here, it's also, I think, helps me connect to my culture more, honestly. Um, things like, despite being one of the few Korean Americans here compared to other, you know, East and South Asian ethnic groups. Um, 
I might not share this very specific experience of being a Korean American um, with others in, you know, around my community, but I can definitely connect better with people um, because we have this collective Asian experience um, growing up in the Bay Area. Yeah, and I think kind of going back to the idea that there is that whole culture shock with the way our parents were raised um, compared to how we're raised. I think specifically, um, I see this in my own family with the idea of the model minority myth. Um, Personally, my parents and a lot of other parents, um, they came from countries in Asia and they had to work very, very hard in America, you know, to make it, quote unquote, and assimilate to all these American ideas of what it means to be successful um, in terms of just, you know, staying out of the spotlight, um, keeping your heads down and staying out of trouble and not calling attention to yourselves by speaking out about issues like facing racism or their mental health stigma in our community. And I think a lot of Asian Americans have this internal conflict about like, I shouldn't speak out about issues in our community because I don't want to call attention to myself and potentially be victimized. Um, I think personally, we see this a lot with the Black Lives Matter movement that has grown in popularity in the last one year. And I think there's a lot of this whole internalized racism and anti-Black sentiment um, in our in our own community. And I think a lot of people in the Asian American community were criticizing the Black Lives Matter movement for being too violent or too unnecessary or too, you know, too much in general. And I think my own parents were, at the beginning, they felt the same way. I remember like a discussion with my own mom who was asking me, why are you writing all these blog posts like in support of Black Lives Matter? You know, like what's going to happen to you? And my, my grandmother asked me like, aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid that speaking out about these issues can get you in trouble? And when I heard that, I had to just like think about it because, you know, I live in America. I don't have to worry about like my government censoring me for saying something critical of America and American ideas. And I think um, I think as an Asian American, having the opportunity to speak out about issues of racism and violence in our community is something that my parents didn't grow up seeing. They didn't they didn't have that same You know, they didn't have that same mindset growing up in an Asian country. And I think that culture disconnect is is sort of the reason why Asian Americans feel the need to perpetuate the model minority myth and not speak out about these issues. And I think it's time that we change that narrative and stand in solidarity with these different communities like the black community, the LGBTQ plus community, the Latinx community um, and make and make our community a better place for all these different people. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think I've seen personally um, a lot of people kind of spinning this whole issue as, you know, black versus Asian, um, which is which is an unnecessary divide in our community um, because we are all people of color, um, you know, facing the systemic racism. Um, in America. And we should be, as you said, standing together in solidarity against this kind of discrimination. And um, I feel like as Asian Americans living in the Bay Area, we definitely have a platform and opportunity and even an advantage um, to speak out against this kind of discrimination and to speak out and make a difference, an impact on these kinds of issues. 
because as Asians in America, we are the minority, but in the Bay Area, with where so many people are also Asian American, we are essentially the majority. So we kind of live in this blanketed area where a lot of us are very interconnected with each other, and I feel like that that's a lot of where our strengths come from, this shared experience of being an Asian American. And so because of this, we definitely have the power and the opportunity to make a difference, even if it's just, you know, speaking out through social media or, you know, writing articles about it. Yeah, and I think, I think an important distinction to make in how we can speak out about these issues is the fact that it's not exclusionary to support Asian Americans and, for example, the Black community at the same time. You know, you don't have to pick and choose where your activism matters, and I think that's a really important concept that we have to think about more. Um, specifically, recently there's been an, an increase in the amount of violence against Asian Americans, specifically elderly Asian people in America, because of xenophobia and concerns about the coronavirus being the China virus or whatever. Um, and at the same time, there's police brutality against Black Americans and racism in the workforce. So there are all these like different layers of racism and oppression that we have in our society. And I don't think we need to say, I support Asian Americans, so I can't support Black Lives Matter or vice versa. You know, I think we can be accepting of all these different communities at the same time. Um, and be intersectional about the way our activism works. And, and in that way, we can have this society that works for everyone. Yeah, going back to how, you know, a lot of our community is made up of Asians, I feel like it's easy to kind of ignore the struggles of people who don't fit into this mold of the perfect model minority. And this mainly deals with issues of like racism and homophobia and like the stigma against mental health. And I, I think there isn't a lot of discourse surrounding this ish, these issues because they're considered taboo in a lot of traditional Asian households. I've been, um, personally, I've been fortunate enough to grow up in a household that's fairly, um, that's had fairly progressive um, outlooks on these topics. But I know I've you know, had friends who, you know, talk about how these co- topics are almost considered sensitive um, in, in their households and while growing up. And they had to kind of relearn as they consumed more information about the kind of world and society that we live in. And I feel like that's something that we have to do, you know, as Gen Z and the, the next coming generation that's going to bring change. We have to constantly re-educate ourselves um, and re-evaluate our morals and our values and um, where we stand on these issues that we might have not heard of or enough, that we might have not heard of enough while growing up. And we have to recognize the importance of these issues that we will continue to face as people, as young people growing up in the Bay Area. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about the issue of re-education and sort of relearning everything that we've been taught um, in terms of like, for example, multiculturalism and racism, I think it's important that when we have these conversations, we're not, you know, gatekeeping our activism, specifically like with the older community and with our parents. I think 
um, since they grew up in such a different community and since they grew up with such different values compared to us, I think it's important that we can have these, you know, we can sit down and have these conversations about race and privilege and mental health and the LGBTQ plus community. And I think by doing so, we can sort of understand each other and meet each other in the middle where we can help educate other people who don't know about these issues and make that progressive change. But I think we are starting to see that change. I think, um, as you mentioned, like Gen Z is a lot more politically active um, and active on social media about issues like multiculturalism. And I think specifically with our political representation, we have started to represent a more diverse Bay Area, um, specifically with our Assembly District 25 Assembly member, Alex Lee, who is a Gen Z uh, openly bisexual Asian American legislator. And he has uh, produced some really progressive policies on things like housing and unemployment and mental health. And even at the local level, we have organizations like Gen Up and Engage Fremont that have tried to increase the community turnout and engagement around issues like mental health and multiculturalism and things like things that impact us directly. And I think because of how this next generation is starting to think about these issues and take the lessons that we've learned from the last months and years and even decades, I think we're really starting to work toward that more inclusive future. And I think it's a great way to sort of tie up our entire discussion about multiculturalism by ending on the note that um, we do have the capability to make change and it is possible and we can work toward it and it will happen. So I think that's a great spot to kind of conclude our discussion about multiculturalism. Yeah, and I definitely look forward to that kind of future. I think all of us do. So thank you for listening to our portion of the one-on-one -on -one conversation about multiculturalism. We're gonna pass it off to our next speakers, Tavish and Sabrina. Hi everyone, Sabrina and I are back uh, for our one-on-one -on -one conversation. So Sabrina, I think we kind of touched upon this in our group convo, but um, just the idea of like the generational divide between our parents and us. Uh, so do you want to kind of go into more detail about that? Yeah, definitely. I for sure have felt this disconnect between my parents and the immersive culture that they were brought up with versus me living in the States. Like one thing that's really noticeable is that I feel like I've gotten this sort of like watered down version of my culture because I'm not always eating like Chinese food or always speaking Chinese. So one very prominent example was that my parents were making dumplings from scratch and I don't think, I don't even think it was like a special occasion, but they were just making it. And while they were rolling out the dough and I was like trying to learn, I thought to myself, I was like, if I marry somebody that's also first generation kid or even second or third, my kids won't have even like a remotely similar experience to me because I won't be actively speaking Chinese to them. And I don't, I'm not like familiar enough with like making dumplings to like host these sort of, sort of events with them. So I, it's not that I felt bad, but I just kind of felt like a phony because I wasn't really truly connected to my culture. And that I think is something that I've seen a lot of other people struggle with as well. Yeah, I definitely think I've had similar experiences in terms of my culture. I think, um, you know, 
there's a lot of aspects of Asian culture that I am not super in tune with. Um, I don't speak my like home homeland tongue um, or like my home language, um, which is uh, and it just like it's a little scary to think that in the future, you know, how am I going to pass down all of these um, ideas and these traditions to my kids if I'm not super connected with it? Um, I think, though, another interesting thing is so like I think we're not fully, you know, Asian because we we don't we don't really are not fully in tune with these things. But I think we're also not fully American because we did live in we grew up in this predominantly Asian American community, and so we've been ex we've been fortunate enough to be exposed to a lot of um, different, you know, cultural events and, 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 and clubs and organizations that have really would have helped us stay connected with our heritage, you know, like with Bollywood dance, like I'm on the Bollywood dance team, or like, I, I used to go to like Hindustani classical singing, um, lessons. And so there have been a lot of opportunities to stay connected, but that, that kind of means that we're in this in between, between like American and Asian, um, which is why like Asian American, <laughs> but, um, I think there's definitely this very, very, um, we're kind of stuck in the middle kind of, yeah, situation. But I still think it's great that we at least get this level of exposure that we would not have gotten if we didn't live in this specific community. And that's something that I'm really scared to lose when like looking ahead because I'm a senior, I will be graduating and attending college. Um, I definitely won't have this same sense of community that we have here. So it will definitely be like kind of like losing this main like thing almost, I guess, that like tethers me to my culture, which is very scary to think about, but I think it's like something that's almost inevitable when you enter the real world. Yeah, I think that idea of stepping out of this bubble is definitely a little bit terrifying. Um, and, you know, like with college apps and everything, we've really had to step back and look at our whole lives and um, look at our futures. And I think that idea of not being the majority is definitely something that's that's quite scary, you know, because we've been lucky enough to live where we are a majority. We haven't really faced a lot of racism. And um, and so just like that idea of now we're going to be stepping out, we are going to be the minority. And just that shock is, I think, something that we'll definitely have to adjust to. Um, yeah. And I think besides this like generational like bubble division, there's also this sort of eastern western division where like it's two different like ideologies and sometimes they overlap but for a lot of things they don't and we're kind of again like in the middle and I think one thing I can think of is education because everybody paints um the Asian American education mentality is really bad and there definitely are harmful aspects of it in terms of like how narrow the definition of success is but like trying to understand why our parents sort of like value it so heavily has really helped me kind of like appreciate the work that they've put in to like make a better life for me because like education to them is like one of like the prime ways for like upward social mobility and it's worked for them so it's going like their mentality is that's going to work for us and I definitely do like this very heavy emphasis on education um, because I personally think it's really important. And I do think that's also representative in Western, maybe not to the same degree. So even though it's like really bad in some ways, I do appreciate this like heavy emphasis. Yeah. Like in movies, 
um i like the quintessential high school experience like everyone is like going out to parties or whatever and i just cannot relate to that because there's been i think my family has just really emphasized education um you know like my parents came here for university and and so they've always been they've always kind of um reinforced that and emphasized that to me and highlighted the importance of of education i remember i did an interview with my um my my nana my grandfather and he was he, he, he talked about how he would attend academic festivals, like just festivals that have really focused on like reading and learning. So there's, I think um, there's always been this very, very strong culture and just respecting um, education as a principle. And it's just really a tenet of, of our whole upbringing. Um, I think another huge divide between Eastern and Western um, is this idea of family versus individualism. And we, we went over this um, in sophomore year for the multicultural lit literature unit for English. We, shout out to Mr. Rath. Um, but we, we discussed how in a lot of Asian cultures and countries, this idea of family is um, very, very important and how it's um, not just one person, one individual, but it's rather a whole community that's coming together and just like working together and experiencing all the highs and lows of life. You know, the, the huge Indian wedding where you just invite, ev like you invite your barber and your, like your tailor and everyone because, because that idea of community is so, so important. I think that's very different from here in America. There's this individualistic kind of like everyone is looking out for themselves. Um, and, and so that's a huge huge disconnect that I think I, I, I've definitely noticed and um, you know as um, as like the children of immigrants I think this um, this division between eastern and western leaves us kind of like picking the pieces of what we want like and what we value you know like we'll take some parts of western ideologies and then some part of eastern I ideologies um, and it's like we're really um, kind of blending the two yeah it's definitely like a mixed bag and we can choose like the best of both worlds almost but at the same time, you can also have the worst of both worlds. So it's really just <laughs> a toss-up almost. Yeah. One thing I also noticed is that, like, this is probably, like, more general, not super specific to the mission bubble. But there's a very big disconnect in terms of the, quote-unquote, Western ideologies that you see in the media versus the ones that you are, like, actual real life. So... Like, if you think about, like, the perfect American family, it's, like, the mom and dad with the white picket fence in, like, the suburban home with the 2.2 kids, and it's just, that's, like, the perfect American family, almost. And you see, like, the mom crying when, like, the kids go to school, and they always say a bunch of love yous, and, like, their affection is very different versus, like, my parents, the way they show affection to me it's not very, like, necessarily saying them, saying I love you a lot, but, like, they'll, like, cut up fruit and, like, silently bring it into my room while I'm studying, and that's, like, a form of affection that they give, so there's just this big disconnect between the, like, sort of, like, family ideals and real, real life, almost, and, like, the media, versus, I also think that's like sort of a testament to the fact that there's like a kind of lack of representation of our experiences and Asian Americans in general in the media, but that's like a much bigger issue. Right. I think um, the idea of like cutting fruit, I think that's really interesting that we share that. Um, my mom, like when I'm studying, she'll bring just like a bowl of mango and um, it's just like this 
this idea that she's there and she I, I it's definitely you know um it's very rarely that like my parents will say like oh I'm proud of you outright but I they definitely will show it in different ways and I think that's a that's a huge difference and what you said about um you know not seeing our lives like lifestyles and our experiences on screen I definitely definitely agree um I think there's a huge lack of Asian American representation um in the media and and, and in the film and I think um, it's it's definitely something that's getting more and more talked about, um, but I think it's something that we still have strides left to go. Yeah, and there's definitely like this very big dichotomy, at least from what I've noticed, where it's either you the characters buy into like these Asian archetypes of like the very nerdy Asian friend or the Indian doctor that has like a really heavy accent, or it's like racist like, talking about racism and, like, critiques on, like, oppressive American society, and there's no middle ground, almost, about, like, just characters being Asian, not that, like, their whole essence is being Asian, but just that they are Asian, but I definitely agree that's getting better. Yeah, um, I think what you were talking about, I think it's, um, very well, uh, embodied by, um, I was reading this article from the New York Times, and it was an interview with Stephen Yun, who is the lead actor in Minari. And so he was discussing how when a person of color, you know, writes a, a film or a, a novel, right, it automatically gets labeled as a race piece or a commentary on race. Um, and just how that is, that's unfortunate because I think people of color just need to be allowed to express their themselves through art. And it doesn't, it shouldn't, their race shouldn't always be the first thing that people like slap a label on and um and so and this is another this was a topic that was also brought up in Malcolm and Marie which was a so-so movie but um <laughs> but it, it was it taught it discussed how you know when um a person of color creates something it's like why is it always that we have the first thing that people will critique or talk about or discuss is is the race aspect um and we just we just want to be able to tell our stories and tell and you know have and 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 I think you know what you said we're making strides like with Bridgerton's like colorblind um casting or you know where um the half of it was like a great movie that had an Asian American lead but that was never the center of the whole story um and so I think that's what we need to see more of and less of you know Baljeet from Phineas and Ferb <laughs> dresses as a samosa <laughs> and like just and and or like Ravi from Jesse who has to be like this super nerdy kid it's like we need to really start taking like taking our Asian American characters and giving them more depth, not just like, you know, what you said about the dichotomy, it shouldn't either be like, they're super, super, they fall into the stereotypes or like they're defying, you know, they're like huge commentary on race. I think we should just be able to live. <laughs> just like exist as we are. That'll be fine. Yeah. But I definitely think um, we've definitely had some forms of privilege by living in the mission community because we don't necessarily face these really big like racist actions or like not on like a daily basis at least I haven't and we definitely are more tethered to our culture because of the community we live in so it's almost like despite the lack of representation and despite like the divisions we may feel between like the kids and the parents we are still very lucky Absolutely. I think 
there's a lot of negatives to the mission bubble um and i think there's a lot of there's a lot of problems that we 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 have but i think one of the great things about living here is we build this confidence in our culture we don't feel a need to kind of change ourselves to fit in um because there's and and I think there's a beauty in the fact that, you know, you and I are able to sit here and have a conversation about our heritage and be able to connect on so many different levels and on so many different things. It's we grew up with people who understand our experiences and who understand what it means to live it as a minority in America. And I think that's there. there's definitely a, a beautiful aspect of living in the mission bubble. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much it for our discussion. Yeah, and I, I just, I think um, we should always remember that, you know, these are the experiences of Sabrina and I, and I think everyone has different life experiences when it comes to growing up as a as a person of color and as a minority, but um, I think this has definitely been very insightful into what it means to be a first-generation um, immigrant. Yeah, so the mission bubble definitely has its pros and cons, but I think we can all agree that as MSJ students, we have a really unique perspective to multiculturalism since we've all grown up in this diverse but not so diverse community. Yeah, I definitely agree. There is, it's definitely a very multifaceted issue and it includes a lot of things from like the generational divide to internalized racism. And there's a lot more than we can possibly say in a 20 minute episode. But we hope that this short overview sparked some discussion about what it means to have multiculturalism in our communities and also what it means to us personally. Well, I guess that's a wrap on our discussion of multiculturalism and how it relates to us as MSJ students. Hopefully this can serve as some sort of catalyst for insightful conversations between our listeners. For more content by The Smoke Signal, visit our website at www.thesmokesignal.org. To our listeners, thank you for taking your time out of your day and tuning in to this episode of The Smoky Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I'd like to thank Sabrina, Tavish, Tanisha, and Joanne for sharing their unique and personal stories. I really hope that this episode has spurred meaningful conversation and dialogue about identity and growing up with unique experiences. Personally, I have a lot of thoughts about my own experiences as a first-generation Indian American student, as well as have felt a warped disconnect between my Indian identity and my American identity. Similar to what Sabrina mentioned, realizing the weight of knowing that I can't pass on certain traditions that have been in my family for generations is pretty burdensome at times. However, this fear of being the last link in the chain has spurred me to learn more about the culture that I've grown up with and pay closer attention to what makes my identity so rich, especially as a senior who's going to be going off to college in the fall. So, I hope you've been able to take something of importance away from this episode. Whether it be the feeling of knowing that you're not alone in your experiences, or learning about a few of the many complexities of living in the middle ground between the culture the few of us first-generation Asian Americans have grown up with at home, at Mission San Jose High, and in the rest of America. This episode is a personal favorite of mine, and if you know someone else who would enjoy listening, please share this with them. Spark meaningful dialogue, introspect on the experiences that have made you you, and learn from others' stories. The background music is produced by Lou Crumbo, and the show is edited by me, Mahek Bora. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Smoky Podcast, and we'll see you guys next time.